the Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? You're lucky, Dean. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. We're going to be talking about something a uh, little, little different this hour. Uh, joining me by phone uh, to talk about Cobra Gold. We'll find out what that is and what problems PETA has with it. From uh, the Vice President of International Laboratory Methods for PETA, Shalene Gala, who joins me by phone. Hi, Shalene. Welcome to the show. Hi, Tom. Thank you so much for having me on. It's wonderful to be here today. Am I saying your name right? I'm terrible with names. Yes, you are. Oh, good. Mm-hmm. Good. Okay. Um, then let's find out about Cobra Gold because it sounds like uh, it sounds like a new beer. <laughs> yeah. So, um, <laughs> Cobra Gold actually, it's it's a it's an interesting case because it's it's a massive multinational military exercise. So it's it's held every year in Thailand, and it's currently actually taking place right now. And it's co-organized by both Thailand and the United States. And part of this drill involves ostensibly teaching troops how to survive when they're trapped in a jungle situation. But the barbaric use of animals during this training is deadly, it's dishonorable, and it's dangerous. And we have um, on our website at PETA.org, they can, uh, people can see disturbing photos and video footage of past Cobra Gold exercises that actually show U.S. troops who are killing chickens with their bare hands, they're skinning and eating live geckos, uh, consuming live scorpions and tarantulas, and, you know, even decapitating cobras and drinking their blood. Um, so it's, it's really the stuff of 
like a like a horror movie, to be honest. And it's this sort of frenzy, decapitating, killing and eating of live animals during Cobra Gold. It's it's like a frat party that's gone wrong rather than a training exercise for ethical military personnel. So that's why we're getting involved to try to stop it. Now this gets into a, a, a strange realm for me. I couldn't I couldn't do those things if I were, you know, stranded in the desert or in a jungle. I'm gonna die <laughs> because I couldn't I couldn't do the things that that they recommend for survival. You know, eating scorpions and you know that that kind of stuff. Um, but I have to wonder, how is this practice different than survival training, where they literally drop soldiers in those areas and see if they can survive for several days? Sure. So the this training could, couldn't be any farther from reality. So, so for example, these animal-killing exercises during Cobra Gold are so unrealistic that during this training the troops do not even find these animals in the wild jungle themselves, but rather they are presented with the animals by the training instructors, which really that undercuts the whole premise of the entire exercise that this is purportedly for survival training, when in fact in a real-life jungle situation, no one is going to be there to present the animals to the troops. Um, We've also pointed out to um, uh, the military senior leadership that you know, there are books and videos that have been specifically produced by very experienced survival instructors who can provide, tr- or, or that can provide troops with the, the skills that they need in order to survive. Um, we also pointed to the fact that U.S. Air Force pilots, they currently prepare for worst-case scenarios um, by being trained using virtual reality uh, technology. There's also uh, interactive simula- simulations that have uh, food procurement components that are already available that can teach these uh, troops how to how to survive in the wild. Um, another important point, uh, which which goes to your point earlier, that you that you thought you wouldn't be able to eat these animals um, in the wild, is that during Cobra Gold, attendees have already been trained to use jungle vines as water sources, and also to recognize edible plants. And really, they should have stuck to this kind of humane sustenance training rather than, you know, mutilating and killing animals um, for this for this particular course. Is is it PETA's contention that even the survival methods that, that have been used in the past, finding animals in the wild and, and using them to survive, is avoidable because there are plant-based alternatives even in the wild? Yes, exactly. And especially in Cobra Gold, which is primarily designed for a jungle environment, there are numerous um, uh, vegetarian options and vegan options in a in a jungle environment, such as the vines that have water sources, and also there are, are you know myriad uh, of edible plants that are available. That once you learn to spot them, you can you can go to them, you pick them up from the ground, you eat them, and then you can survive. Um, there also have been uh, we've had previous success in. Uh, convincing the uh, different military installations to get away from using animals for similar military-type drills. So, for example, in 2011, the Marine Corps Mountain Warfare Training Center actually suspended their use of live animals in a similar survival training course following discussions with PETA. And nearly three decades ago, the U.S. Army's Dugway Proving Ground 
actually canceled a survival skills training course using animals after PETA had asked uh, then-Defense Secretary Les Aspen to intervene. So there is precedent for getting away from this, and we're, our, our hope is that the current administration will heed these precedents and then apply that same uh, logic to uh, what's going on right now in Cobra Gold and get away from, it, from using animals. Do you have any idea how this um, Cobra Gold uh, military exercise got its start? It's it's co-hosted by the United States and Thailand and involves 29 different nations. Um, why are, are they getting together for this purpose? I, I would think that survival training would be unique to each of the participants separately. Yes, so there's several elements to this. So this is a a training that primarily is billed as as a survival training purportedly. Um, But then secondarily to that, the military will also say that this is very helpful to them for building camaraderie um, between troops and to to establish relationships with other uh, armed forces around the world so that people can work together in different environments. Um, All of that is well and good, but there's no need to be using animals and killing them and eating them alive um, for for those goals to be achieved. There are viable um, non-animal training methods that are already available, that are widely available, and military installations in the U.S., after discussions with PETA, they've already transitioned away from using animals. So this really is a matter of um, clinging to an outdated method of training uh, using animals that's been going on since the 1980s at at Cobra Gold. Um, And it really is just time for that practice to end and for them to modernize and transition to something that is, you know, it's better for the troops, it's better for the animals, and it's frankly, it's better also for public health because there's no risk of zoonotic disease transmission if you're not eating um, live animals. Shalene, I, I can't help wondering if, if sometimes these things aren't about, um, you know, the, the process of getting soldiers um, over the ick factor. Uh, you know, how how do alternatives like videos and virtual reality um, compare to someone who's really in that situation and it is in fact a matter of survival but yet they're not able to stomach the things they need to do isn't there a need for some um, I don't know physical preparation for that um, so I think probably the best parallel I can draw for that question is um, considering other uh, times the military has invoked a similar line of uh, line of uh, argumentation that they feel that there is a need for um, troops to experience firsthand what it's like to use animals for this situation so that they can feel prepared later on. But what we've found over time and after discussions with the military is that, frankly, that, that just isn't the case. And so... I can give some some examples. So after hearing from PETA, um, troops actually in the Coast Guard, they no longer mutilate and kill animals just to learn how to treat um, human battlefield trauma injuries, for example. Um, Also, after hearing from PETA, Army medics 
no longer poison live monkeys with simulated chemical warfare agents just to learn how to administer proper antidotes to humans. Um, after hearing from PETA Navy corpsmen, they no longer practice sticking tubes down the throats of live ferrets just to learn how to intubate human infants to establish airways. And similarly, there's really no justification for Marines to participate in bloodless exercises during Cobra Gold. And again, we're, we're hoping that the DOD senior leadership will listen to these concerns and recognize the past precedents that have already been established. And, um, and it's not just our views that, are, that, that, that we're writing to the DOD, but our views are also shared by veterans and public health experts as well who have also contacted the DOD, and they're urging them to stop using and killing animals for this purpose. Um, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that, like, over time, this will just uh, be, like, an of course moment. But, of course, like, we, we should just transition. Um, but right now, the DOD is being very uh, resistant to, to changing for whatever their reasons are. Well, there's something about this particular event that makes it seem almost frat-like or like a reality TV show. And, and Shalene, you're right to point out that this is very different than being in a survival situation where, you know, a, a soldier might be on his own, stranded in the jungle, and has to hunt and forage um, just to stay alive. Um, but this isn't really teaching that, as you point out, when somebody comes over and just hands you a chicken mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know exactly i, I, mean, I, I think like, there was a time it's like going, mm-hmm. I, I think there was a time when survival training was actually done by putting people in that environment for a limited period of time and testing their ability to forage and or hunt and survive um and and they actually had to do it under those conditions. It wasn't like, you know, some kind of a gore buffet. Exactly. And and back then, there also were not these technological advancements that now make training much more sophisticated and much more accessible and widely distributed to anyone who wants this training. So, for example, there are virtual reality simulations. There are other computer programs that are available with, they have uh, food procurement uh, components to them. There are lots of YouTube videos. There's there's books. There's other types of media. All of these things you can consume, and you can you can learn how to properly survive in a jungle situation where you, God forbid, ever stuck stuck in that situation. Um, there really is like in this modern day, there it really is no uh, logical need to require troops to be going from the U.S. to Thailand on the taxpayer's dime, and then, you know, beheading cobras and drinking their blood. This is a completely backwards practice that has its roots back in the 1980s, which is when this training started, um, that really just needs to end and modernize and transition to something much more effective um, for the troops and also ethical for the animals as well. More with Shalin Gala from PETA straight in. Everybody's doing 
it on brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can. Keep wearing masks correctly and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed, a magical place 
with magical charms indoors 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 take it away hi this is deb cherry genesee county treasurer and you're listening to the tom sumner radio show more with Shalin Gala from PETA straight ahead. Is it um, PETA's intention and, and how is PETA doing with this idea of completely rethinking what survival in the wild looks like? Not, you know, maybe not just for the military, but for survivalists in general, that there are ways to survive in nature without killing other animals, even though there there is a sort of natural food chain going on there. Uh, certainly. I mean, th- like the, the main point we want to emphasize is that there are other methods that are available, and um, the, the killing of the animals is, is not something that is, that is mandatory or required in order to learn how to survive, Me- meaning that if you... If you don't participate in this training, that doesn't necessarily mean that you are then not going to survive. Rather, if you don't participate in this training, you're more likely to survive because you're receiving training that is actually beneficial to teaching you the exact skills that you need. That, and that, that curriculum has been designed by experienced survival experts who have experienced firsthand the, um, like what it takes to survive in the wild. They'll teach you directly without using any animals how to survive in the wild, and that's what we're hoping that the the military will transition to. And again, there there have been precedents already established with the Marine Corps uh, Mountain Warfare Training Center, and also with Aberdeen Proving Ground, or sorry, with with Dugway Proving Ground. Um, both of those facilities switched over from animal use to non-animal use for their uh, survival training skills and. Really, if the the commanders of those uh, installations, they never would have made that decision had they not agreed with PETA and said, you know what, like what you're saying actually has some merit. This is correct that we can train our troops to survive in the wild without requiring the um, the killing of animals, and it's it's more ethical to do that. It's in compliance with our uh, uniform code of military justice. It's um, it poses less of a public health risk by doing that. So. They made the decision to switch over, which was great. You know, for decades, I've seen images uh, from movies and television of survivalists. Um, and, and one movie comes to mind, Crocodile Dundee, and there's a scene he's in the outback and um, catches and and fillets and cooks uh, uh, an iguana. And... Mm-hmm. And, you know, he makes fun of, you know, it doesn't taste very good, but you can live on it. Um, and it, it, there's something sort of romantic about the ability to survive without all the modern conveniences. But what you're talking about is we need to rethink the whole idea that we have to hunt and fish to survive in the wild because there's other sustenance available how do we how do we change that and and make that more romantic more um appealing and and something that people would embrace and say you know i know all different kinds of 
plants and berries and stuff, I could survive in the wild. Sure. I, I think probably, at least for me, when I'm, when I'm thinking about this issue, um, apart from the, the animal issue, which is very important to PETA in our mission, that we don't want animals to be, to be uh, consumed um, simply by virtue of the fact that animals are individuals, they have their own interests, they can feel pain, they can suffer, and it's just ethically not right to, to kill them. But in addition to that, uh, that, that point, um, the killing of animals and the, con- the consuming of animals who are actually alive while they're being eaten, um, this is a practice that actually poses a dangerous zoonotic disease threat um, which is similar to the novel coronavirus that endangers not only the public health but also the troops' health. And so if, if for any reason at all, getting away from uh, using animals for this rubber uh, gold training would, uh, would be beneficial to people's overall well-being and health. Um, so specifically, human contact with, with animals during cobra gold, it, it puts troops at risk of contracting diseases, that can endanger them and the public. And the World Health Organization actually estimates that roughly 70%, so 70% of emerging and re-emerging pathogens in recent decades, including the virus that causes COVID-19, actually originated in animals. And the COVID-19 pandemic can almost certainly be traced back to some sort of human interaction with wildlife sold for consumption and also other lethal diseases, including things like AIDS, SARS, and Ebola, all of those originated because of the human slaughter of wildlife. So this is a pattern and a dangerous pattern that if it continues, then maybe one day there will be an- another sort of uh, infection that emerges simply by, by virtue of the fact that the, these, uh, these wild animals are being slaughtered and oftentimes, in the case of cobra gold, consumed while they're still alive. And whenever you mix those two elements together, um, it's a recipe for disaster, as we're all learning now in the world with COVID-19. Um, so I would probably appeal to people's um, rational sense and their own uh, sense of logic that if there is an alternative available that, that doesn't involve animals and can completely avoid this public health nightmare aspect, then I would hope that they would want to choose that um, just as a matter of practicality. Where are some good places for people to um, research this and, and learn more about what's being done and, and what maybe they should do to help um, change what's being done, but also uh, for their own sense of survival where people could learn what the alternatives are to hunting down woodland creatures to sure so probably the best place to go for any of the listeners uh who are outraged by this uh deadly and dishonorable and dangerous killing of animals during cobra gold would be probably first and foremost to go to PETA's online action alert which is at PETA.org and that's p-e-t-a dot o-r-g forward slash cobra gold and on that website, it has a lot of information about uh, the information we've talked about today on your show. And then they can also take, um, they can also join the nearly 115,000 supporters who have already written to Pentagon leaders, urging them to stop using live animals 
in this bloodlust training exercise. Um, another option is if your listeners wanted to get involved would be to text the word COBRA, um, C-O-B-R-A, to the number 73822. And by doing that, they can urge U.S. and Thai military officials to leave animals out of their Cobra Gold survival training exercise. Um, some other suggestions, I guess, would be to call your congressperson or your senator and simply ask them as a constituent to say, uh, you want them to tell the Pentagon to stop wasting your hard-earned taxpayer money on this sort of barbaric training. And you can also tag uh, military officials on social media and respectfully encourage them to switch to more effective, ethical, and uh, really economical non-animal survival training methods during Cobra Gold. My guest is uh, Shalene Gala. He is the Vice President of International Laboratory Methods for People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, or PETA, as we know them. Um, Shalene, thanks so much for spending this time with me and, and sharing uh, and explaining about this, because this I, I really wasn't kidding when I said Cobra Gold sounded like a new beer. <laughs> You're very welcome, and I definitely appreciate your time and your interest in this in this important topic. Well, take care and keep up the good work. Thank you so much. All right. And with that, we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. <music> Fashion Radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program.com. The Tom Sumner Program.com. The Tom Sumner Welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program, and AI, or artificial intelligence, uh, for a lot of people, is is something they think about in terms of uh, robots and technology taking over the world, but uh, it has a lot of practical applications, and we're going to talk about that. My guest this hour is um, a Harvard-trained doctor who uh, did postgraduate uh, training in cardiology. He is from the Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine. He joins me by phone, Dr. James Thomas. Jim, welcome to the show. Happy to be here, Tom. Um, in practical applications in in diagnosing and treating uh, heart disease, how does artificial intelligence or AI factor in? very much a moving target right now, and it's something that, you know, we've been talking about AI for, I think, 60-plus years. Uh, there's been discussion of how we can make machines intelligent, but it's really just in the last decade that we have had um, enough computer power, enough data that we can crunch algorithms with, and then finally an understanding of how best to use it. Uh, that we really have gotten some quite remarkable 
algorithms that have uh, have come along. Uh, things they can do do things like look at your you know when the doctor looks in your eye, and he can tell he or she can tell a lot of things from that. <clears throat> With AI, you can pick up subtleties that will allow you to diagnose diabetes, hypertension, uh, high lipids, um, all kinds of things just from training the algorithm on millions and millions of pictures of the uh, of the retina. And it's, it's been replicated in all areas of, of medicine. And how does it um, relate specifically to um, cardiology? And I'm, I'm thinking about some of the uh, um, incredible uh, advancements that have been made with treatments of, of heart problems. Well, let's, let's start with a very kind of simple, concrete example, the, the good old-fashioned stethoscope. Um, stethoscope has been uh, was invented about 200 years ago, and um, really hasn't changed much in the last 200 years. It's it's a, a you know a, a bell on the chest and two tubes leading to your ears. Um, but we have been working uh, with a, a company out out west that is first of all amplifying the stethoscope, so you get much better clarity in listening to the sounds but it also can uh, send the heart sounds to the, to the cloud where an AI algorithm will tell you whether you have a murmur or what kind of murmur you have. And it's done this by training on thousands and thousands of examples that experts have gone through and labeled, yes, this is a murmur of a too tight aortic valve or this is the murmur of a leaky mitral valve. Um, and it, it gradually just gets better and better, and now it's about 90-plus percent accurate for identifying patients with severe aortic stenosis. And, and you say uh, severe. Uh, you know, I've had opportunities to, to try to listen to my own and other people's heartbeats with uh, with a stethoscope, I can barely make out the fact that a heart is beating. How much, how much training goes into understanding what those beats are um, that is now amplified by AI? Well, it, it is quite a lot of training. You, of course, get some training in medical school, and then depending on which uh, specialty you go into, if you're, if you're going into internal medicine, you'll get a lot more training in it, and then especially cardiologists, that's kind of the, the coin of the realm is really being able to, to listen with a stethoscope. But, but sadly, the, the expertise has been lost over probably the last 40 or 50 years because um, there are other tests out there like an echocardiogram, and it's just so easy to, to check the box to order an echocardiogram that, that a lot of the young doctors don't have the same expertise that, say, uh, you know, some of the people that taught me um, 30 and 40 years ago had. Um, so the adding AI in allows you to get back to a level of sophistication that, you know, maybe was always there for the real super experts, um, but it is um, something that is... Um, uh, uh, you know, is not necessarily there, especially in a busy doctor's office or emergency room where patients are coming and going. You you want to have this backstop that says, okay, there's a 
murmur here, and you need to explore it further. You know, when we think about heart surgery, most people conjure up an image of open heart surgery, but there are a lot of treatments of heart ailments that are done in almost a non-invasive way. Um, to what degree does AI or artificial intelligence um, factor into the methods used for those procedures? Well, you're, you're quite right. Um, the last uh, you know, 10 years especially have been just revolutionary in our, our treatment for uh, leaky mitral valves and for uh, uh, tight aortic valves. And, and much of that is still kind of done the old-fashioned way. You look at an X-ray or you look at an echocardiogram and uh, you sort of, uh, by voice commands, guide the interventionalist to get the, the catheter where, uh, where you want it to go. But there's a lot of AI that is built into the uh, visualization tools we have in echocardiography. Ah. Um, and now you really can get sort of photorealistic views of the heart where they will uh, put these little alligator clips on the mitral valve to, uh, to stop the leak there. And a lot of those tools are, are powered. If you look under the, under the hood, there's a lot of artificial intelligence going on there to help, help make those uh, pictures even clearer than they would be otherwise. What are some of the things that, that we can do now in treating heart disease and, and, um, and, and heart issues um, that we couldn't do before AI? Well, I think there, you know, it falls into, under a wide range of, um, of issues there. Let's, let's start with um, the echocardiogram, which is uh, the most widely used imaging test of the heart. And um, I've, I've gotten it, old it, enough, it, Jim, I've gotten old enough where I get those fairly often. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, it's, it takes quite a while, and, uh, and you want to have someone who's good doing it. Uh, the problem is there just aren't enough really well-trained um, uh, sonographers who acquire the images or echocardiographers who interpret the images to really uh, serve the need all over the country and especially the world. So, you know, there's been efforts through AI to automate the interpretation of echoes so that they can automatically identify this is your left ventricle, this is your left atrium. They can quantify exactly what the volume of the chambers are, how much the heart is pumping out each beat, um, and a whole host of, uh, you know, uh, identifying patients with very rare disease that have sort of subtle abnormalities in their, their heart motion. Um, and so that, that's sort of one side of the, of the issue there. The other side of the issue, though, is there just aren't enough people to acquire the good quality images. So one approach that has, uh, has recently gotten FDA uh, authorization is kind of a GPS or um, echocardiography, and essentially it can take, you know, a, a real novice like you, for instance, and with a little orientation and a couple of practice runs, it will tell you, you know, where to put the probe, take a 
look at the images that you're producing there and then give you sort of turn-by-turn instructions. Rotate the probe counterclockwise, tilt it towards the the, uh, center of the chest, and gradually your image will get better enough, and finally it says that's good enough, and it'll just grab two seconds' worth of, uh, of ultrasound and then have you move on to the next next image there. So this is something that really has the possibility of, of going out into rural areas, uh, going into uh, developing areas, or just any place where you need a, a quick look at the heart. Like um, we put one in the COVID units um, when uh, COVID first began, and it really uh, allowed us to make a lot of diagnoses and we didn't have to send our sonographers into the hot zone to, to do the imaging. Now, I, I get, I might have misspoke. Is an electrocardiogram the same as an EKG? Electrocardiogram is an EKG or ECG. Okay. An echocardiogram uses sound waves to look at the heart. Okay, because it's, uh, it's the EKG that I that I've uh, had several times. Yes. Um, yeah, and, and there's AI for the EKG as well. I mean, there, uh, you know, you, you look at it, and we all get trained on this in, in cardiology, but there are so many subtleties in there that um, uh, when you train an algorithm on a million EKGs, um, it can pick up a lot of things that the even a well-trained eye doesn't see in there. And it, um, you know, it can tell how old you are. It can tell whether it's from a man or a woman, things that, you know, we don't even think about when we look at the, uh, the EKG. Well, yeah, when I look at it, it just looks like squiggly lines to me. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> but even, even experts have their limitations here. Um, where is... AI headed when it comes to um, surgical procedures? Well, there is, um, I, I think, you know, people have this fear that AI is going to replace their doctors or, you know, the robots are going <laughs> to replace the um, um you know, the surgeons there. And and I think one thing that has become abundantly clear is that um, it's the partnership between AI and the expert that really gives you the best results. And so a lot of these minimally invasive approaches, I saw saw something for spine surgery where it, it uses an incredibly powerful computer to sort of simulate in real time how the spine is moving as the surgeon is is pushing on it there. And it helps place make the placement of these little fixation screws and other orthopedic devices uh, much more precise, like a factor of 10 better than it would have been otherwise. More with Dr. James Thomas. <laughs> Tom Sumner
Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. Say, objection. I object. I object to that, Your Honor. Oh, hi, Mom. What's up? Dana, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just um, Attorney General stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So listen, we just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam. Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, Report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dana, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. 
I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with Dr. James Thomas straight ahead. Just to give you a simple real-life example, we know that computers have been better than humans at chess for 25 years, and now it's it's like no contest. They are much better than the best human uh, grandmaster. But the combination of a, of a pretty good chess player plus the computer will beat any uh, the the top computers there. So it's the partnership. I've heard some people call it not artificial intelligence, but augmented intelligence. And that I, I sort of like that that phrase for um, telling that it's it's not taking over; it's helping. Yeah, I, I would I, I would think, um, and I like that uh, that example that augmented intelligence. Um, it 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 reminds me a little bit of the relationship that people have with their um, GPS in their car, and GPS will tell you where to go, but you still drive the car. Right. Yeah. You you got to keep your eyes open for stuff in the road. But like they're trying to do with uh, with automotive uh, technology and and driverless cars, do you think there'll ever be a time? when uh, um, procedures can be done almost completely through automation? Um, you know, we, we are heading in, in and that I don't, direction. And right? I don't mean without oversight, Jim, but, right. but where a, a, a system could be programmed to do a particular procedure and be able to do it perhaps more accurately than the human hand or eye. I, I think we will definitely see something like that in the next 20 years or so. The, the landscape is changing so rapidly now. Uh, just, just a very simple example, uh, you know, we've had robots that surgeons can drive to repair the mitral valve or maybe... 15 years or so, and and surgeons get very good at this, but they are they are manually moving their um, the the little actuator on the end of the robot arm uh, for each stitch. They have to you know very like just the old fashioned way tie their knots the way they've been doing for 200 years. Uh, but I think we will get to the point where you can automate those repetitive processes and it will be faster and it will be better than um, than having the surgeon have to tie it each one separately which will speed up operations and will um, uh, make them more more precise and probably a little tighter and let the surgeon really focus on the uh, the nuances of the operation rather than the the nuts and bolts uh, tying of knots like that Jim, you mentioned a moment ago that the the landscape is is changing very rapidly. How do experts in the field like like you and and your colleagues keep up and and learn the the new technology as it comes out? Well, that's that's a very uh, 
tough thing to do, and, and there's a lot of sort of misunderstanding of what, what AI is. So one of the things that we've done at Northwestern um, uh, through the um, generosity of, uh, of some of our donors, including uh, Neil Bloom, who, who really has funded our Center for um, AI and Cardiovascular Disease, we've partnered with the computer scientists up at the Evanston campus of Northwestern to have a, uh, a dedicated one-year fellowship for cardiology trainees to really get in the deep weeds with the uh, engineers and the computer scientists to learn the, the, the really hardcore programming that's involved in machine learning and, and artificial intelligence. So we are training the next generation of experts in this arena there. Um, for us, Guys who've been out a while, you know, I have a, an engineering background, but it, it goes back quite a few years. So I'm, I, I just, uh, struggle to, to, uh, read the, the literature and, and trust that my new fellows that are training in all of this can keep me educated. But I would think there'd be a, a learning curve, Jim, um, on, uh, new technology and new procedures, um, for for even people that would be considered expert in the field um and and that's not something you can you know do by trial and error right right you you may you know when when new techniques come out um you know we're we're doing this all the time with these new um uh catheter valves that go in and you you definitely want to have a couple of practice runs on a pig or something like that before you get in and and try it uh, on a patient there. Uh, so there's and, and there are computer simulators that are remarkably um, uh, realistic that you can train a lot of things on. Now, a, a lot of AI is really behind the scenes. You know, we're we're doing these echocardiograms. And now, instead of having to manually make probably 200 measurements of, of a study there, the, the computer machine or the echo machine itself will just automatically generate those numbers. And you, you can look at them. You can say, no, I'd move this line a little bit. You have infinite control over it. But you've saved yourself, you know, probably 15 minutes of measurements and, and, human error there and you know when we look at how well the the ai algorithm does it does better than a panel of cardiologists at making these measurements just because of the shakiness of 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 hands when you're trying to to measure these dots there so that's a that's a a good behind the scenes function that uh is working on its own what about the the expense, uh, you know, for as long as I can remember, uh, people that have some sort of a, a condition um, and, and look to their doctors to use the newest technology and the best procedures, but new technology is often very expensive. Is is working on the, the cutting edge of what's possible more expensive to do? It probably is. Um in the short run, um, you know, the, the, these, these machines do cost uh, some money to develop. But the, 
the whole goal is early detection of disease. Uh, like we, we started with uh, yeah. looking in the eyes. If you can detect someone who's got a pre-diabetic condition, you know, five years before there's any chemical evidence of, of diabetes, you may be able to interrupt that cycle and, and keep them from developing full-blown diabetes or hypertension or, or things like that. So the, the goal really is to improve health um, and you know, stay away from the very expensive technology that you need to, to solve things down the road. Uh, you know, double lung transplants for COVID uh, is a very expensive thing to do, but if you can somehow detect it early, uh, and one of my, one of my AI fellows uh, did a, an algorithm that just looks at chest x-rays and can diagnose COVID uh, better than a panel of radiologists. And um, it really is quite remarkable. Well, Jim, this is a, a fascinating uh, subject, and I feel like we've just scratched the surface. But um, I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about. How can people educate themselves about what's out there, what the possibilities are, and what should they be looking for when they're searching for um medical care and treatment? Well, I, I think um, there are a number of um, discussions of artificial intelligence. It, it, the, the challenge is, is finding something that's at the right level. And um, I'd be happy offline to send you some of the publications we've uh, done on this. It is a, you know, it's, it's technical doctor talk and, and all of that, but, but I, I suspect uh, at least some of your listeners would, uh, would appreciate that. And um, um, there's, you know, there have been a number of, uh, of TV shows that have kind of highlighted these areas there. It, it's, uh, the, the key is don't let yourself be scared of it. AI is your friend. It's going to make healthcare better. It's going to make it uh, more egalitarian because it will spread it across the nation and across the world uh, where there just aren't enough experts to uh, to go around. My guest is uh, Dr. James Thomas from the Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine, where he's a professor of medicine and cardiology. Um, Jim, thanks so much for spending this uh, this time with me this morning. It's been my pleasure, Tom, and appreciate the opportunity to reach your audience. Keep up the good work. Take care. All right. Thanks a lot. We'll have more of the Tom Summer Program. Old-fashioned radio For a new generation Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com From the Tom Sumner
Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. Tom Sumner. 